What is up, Tan and J-Man Show Nation? It is February 12th, 2024. A brand new episode of the Tan and J-Man Show live on the ISC Sports Network, on the ISC Sports Network YouTube channel, on the Tan and J-Man Show Facebook page, on the Tan and J-Man Show X page, channel, whatever you want to call it, and the ISC Sports Network X page as well. I'm Tanner Lee, and usually I would be introducing my co-host, Josh the J-Man Mutt, but the J-Man couldn't join me tonight, so everybody's stuck with me for the next hour. I apologize in advance. Tried to get a co-host tonight to join me, but it didn't work out. But uh, that's all right. We're going to sit back. We're going to have some fun. We're going to probably go down some rabbit holes. We're going to probably go down all different alleys and avenues along the way during this next hour. But we're going to cover a lot of good stuff. And like I said, we're going to have some fun doing so. But uh, first and foremost, like every week, I came prepared with a birdie or bogey question. But I guess my question is to you, the Tan and J-Man Show Nation, that are tuning in or listening to this podcast at a later time, which if you're listening to this podcast on your favorite audio podcast platform, please give us a rating and review. That helps us out a lot. And if you're watching, thanks for watching. And please make sure you are subscribed and followed to all of our social media accounts at at Tan and J-Man Show is our hand on everywhere if you haven't already. So, the birdie or bogey this week, which is brought to you by Arlington Public House, is last night during Super Bowl 58, which will definitely be a topic of discussion during this podcast. Heavy topic of discussion, I should say. We saw first Jake Moody, the kicker for the San Francisco 49ers, hit a 55-yard field goal, which became the longest field goal made in Super Bowl history, followed by Harrison Butker later on in the game, the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, nailing a 57-yard field goal, which is now the uh, record long for field goal made in Super Bowl history. Before those two guys hit those field goals, I want to know what kicker held the record for longest field goal made in Super Bowl history. Pretty simple. Pretty simple question. And like I said, like it is every week, the birdie or bogey question is brought to you by Arlington Public House. I better bring up the read here, like Josh does every week. Arlington Public House has upscale cuisine and cocktails with a casual atmosphere. Located at 703 Main Street in Rochester, Indiana. And let's see what they had on tap over the weekend, shall we? Their weekend feature, they had a T-bone steak was their weekend feature Friday and Saturday. It was a mouth-watering 16-ounce T-bone steak paired with red skin mashed potatoes and house-made fried zucchini chips. Oh, man, that picture makes my mouth water. That steak looks absolutely delicious. And they got a special event going on this week. They are inviting everybody to join them for a Valentine's Day dinner this Wednesday, February 14th, from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. You can contact them to RSVP by calling their number at 574-223-7101. And the menu will include each couple's meal is $90 for two. Includes all courses, soups and salads. You have a side salad, a Caesar side salad, uh, Zupa Toscana, lobster bisque, French onion. So those are your uh, choices of soups there. Shareable starters, they have Thai spring rolls, hot honey goat cheese dip. Fried oysters, California sushi roll. Main dishes include ribeye, red snapper, roasted chicken, filet and salmon for two, or penne a la vodka. 
And for dessert, you have a choice of New York cheesecake with raspberry, uh, triple chocolate spiced carrot cake, and red velvet cake. So, looks like an absolutely delicious menu. So, if you don't have any dinner plans on Valentine's Day, contact uh, Arlington Public House to RSVP. Once again, their number is 574-223-7101. All right, well, let's get right into it. Super Bowl 58 was played last night between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The first time the Super Bowl went to the entertainment capital of the world, the Sin City, whatever you want to call it. And I'm guessing it won't be the last time. I'm guessing, by all accounts, I think Vegas did a pretty good job as a hosting city. I think they'll get it again. Uh, Maybe not the next... Five years or so. I think those are already planned out. I know next year, Super Bowl 59 is in New Orleans. And I'm sure Atlanta's on the rotation, Miami, you know, the regular stops. Um, but um, once again, I think uh, I think the Sin City did a good job. And the game was a pretty good game. Um, kind of boring at times, but from the last six minutes of regulation through overtime, the game was pretty entertaining. Had a lot of drama involved. But what do you expect? Kansas City Chiefs. Drama follows them everywhere they go. Um, and if you're living on a rock or maybe you're not into the NFL and didn't watch the news today, so you don't know who won. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs were victorious yet again. They're Super Bowl champions yet again for the second year in a row. And um, the third time in four years, I believe it's the third time in four years, maybe five or four years, I believe they won in 2020 against San Francisco and they lost in 2021 against Tampa Bay. 2022, they didn't make it. That was the Rams over the Bengals. They won it last year in 2023 over the Eagles, and now this year in 2024 over San Francisco. Again, final scores 25-22 in overtime. Uh, halftime, the Niners had a lead, 10-3, to um, and they were actually up 10-0 to at one point in this game, but the Chiefs outscored the Niners 10-0 in the third quarter, and then, um, of course, the game was tied and went into overtime. And a good friend of the show, Cameron Screeton, uh, tweeted in a question, which I was going to hit on this question anyways if he didn't, but he was kind enough to do so. So let me go uh, find the exact tweet. He says, do you think the 49ers should have kicked off to start overtime? So, yes. So for anybody out there that might not know, overtime rules are a little different in the NFL compared to college. College, both teams get, get the ball no matter what. Um, so no matter if the team that gets the ball first kicks field goal, scores touchdown, the opposing team gets a chance. And then once it goes into triple overtime, they start doing two point conversions only NFL for regular season and overtime, or let me backtrack a little bit. The overtime rules in the NFL, whether it was the regular season or the postseason, used to be first score wins. It didn't matter if the opposition got a chance or not. Well, and then after a few years ago when Kansas city beat the bills and that, thrilling overtime win a lot of people came out in backlash saying well josh allen didn't have a chance to lead the bills down to try to tie the game or, or, or ultimately win so they changed the rules up to where for the regular season if the team who gets the ball first scores a touchdown is over but if that team scores a field goal then the opposition still gets a chance to either go down and kick a field goal to tie the game or go down and get a touchdown to win the game and in the postseason, now it's both teams get the ball no matter what. So 
With that said, San Francisco won the coin toss with heads in overtime, and they elected to have the ball first to try to put points on the board first, and they did so by kicking a field goal. But then Kansas City with getting the ball with the best quarterback, active quarterback in the NFL, quarterback that I think's already cemented himself as, if not a borderline top five quarterback of all time, he's on his way to being the best quarterback of all time. I mean, in six years, he's um, had six AFC championship appearances, four Super Bowl appearances, and won three of them. That's pretty remarkable. I mean, he's tied the likes of Troy Aikman with three Super Bowl victories already. And he, MVP-wise, he's won three. That ties him with Joe Montana with three. The only guy he's behind is Tom Brady, who has five. So he's well on his way. But with all that said, Kansas City then got the ball. They knew what they had to do. Go down. If you have to take three, you take three and take a field goal and let the game continue on in overtime. Or you go get a touchdown and you win the game. That's ultimately what happened. Kansas City went down, scored a touchdown, won the game. So we can all be quarterbacks on the couch looking back on it. And did Kyle Shanahan do the right thing by selecting to take the ball first? Um, personally, I wouldn't have done that. I would have played defense first. Then you know as an offense going out there what you have to do. Um, so not not real sure what his mindset was behind that, but there was also a report that came out today that Kansas City had been prepping for this scenario over time in the Super Bowl for a while now, and San Francisco, at least the majority of the players and some of their coaches didn't even know what the rules were exactly as far as overtime, which is pretty embarrassing. That's lack of preparation. Um, so as big as a fan I am, uh, I am of Kyle Shanahan, Definitely think he deserves some heat today. Um, questionable play calling during the game. Thought they abandoned the run way too early. Um, I mean, they were running the ball well. Christian McCaffrey, it's a beast all year long. Lead leaguer, league, league leader in rushing yards for a reason. So I thought they abandoned that way too early. Um, they weren't able to get their weapon, George Kittle, going at all last night. So that killed him. Debo Samuel played all right, but he was he got banged up. And then uh, Ayuk never really got going. I mean, they just they just had a tough time from a from a passing standpoint. I mean, Brock pretty played okay. He was twenty three for thirty eight for two hundred fifty five yards, one touchdown. Chris McCaffrey twenty two carries for eighty yards. He also led them in receptions with eight receptions for eighty yards and a touchdown, including that trick play where he scored. But you look on the opposite side, Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, 34 for 46 for 333 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He also led them in rushing yards, nine carries for 66 yards. And Travis Kelsey, nine catches for 93 yards last night. Um, and I was talking about receiving for the 49ers. Brandon Ayuk, three receptions for 49 yards. Juwan Jennings, four receptions for 42 yards and a touchdown. So he threw a touchdown because he was the one to throw it to Mc Chris McCaffrey on the trick play, and he caught a touchdown. Debo Samuel, three receptions for 33 yards. Uh, Kyle Uchek, two receptions for 31. Nice to see a fullback uh, being used out there in action. That's a uh, that's, that's a position that doesn't get utilized like he used to in the NFL. George Kittle, though, like I said, ultimate weapon for the San Francisco 49ers, at least when he's healthy. Only two receptions for four yards. So credit the Kansas City defense for limiting him to pretty much nothing. Um, defensively, I thought San Francisco did a pretty good job. Um, they had an unfortunate injury during the game uh, with uh, Dre, Dre Greenlaw, one of their 
action-packed linebackers. He went down right after halftime, I believe it was. Maybe it was during the second quarter when he was jogging on the field with an Achilles injury. It took him out of the game. It was just a freak play, fluky thing. That kind of switched the whole game plan for their defense, and that really hurt them. Uh, Other stats for the Chiefs. Uh, besides Mahomes on the ground having nine carries for 66 yards, like I said, 7.3 yards per carry, by the way. Um, Isaiah Pacheco had 18 carries for 59 yards. Nobody else really did anything. Already went over Kelsey's stats. Nicole Hardman Jr., who was a Chief in the past, then was a Jets start of the season, but then was traded back to the Chiefs midway through the season. Three receptions, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Justin Watson, three receptions for 54 yards. Rasheed Rice, the rookie, six receptions for 39 yards. Um, they spread the ball out a lot more. San Francisco did. On defense, uh, man, Chris Jones. I, I mean, I know Patrick Mahomes won the MVP and deservingly so, but I think right behind him would have been Chris Jones. Chris Jones made a lot of difference. I mean, he wasn't getting to the quarterback per se as far as sacks go, but he was making Brock Purdy change arm angles. Uh, getting pressure there when they needed it the most. So he was definitely making his presence felt even when he was tired. Um, other stats here, uh, George Karloftis, Purdue Boilermaker, he had uh, three tackles, half a sack, and a fumble recovery. So that was the one guy. You know, as a Denver Bronco fan, it's it's hard for me to sit here and talk about the Chiefs winning another Super Bowl and saying a lot of positive things about the Chiefs without getting a little – a little sick to my stomach, to be honest, or a little fired up. But I was happy for George Karloftis. He's off to a great start to his career. Two years, two Super Bowl rings, starts every game for the Chiefs. I think we'll see him take his level level of play up yet another level next year. Um, and also, Drew Tranquil, uh, Fort Wayne native, played at Notre Dame. He is also now a Super Bowl champion as he is a starting safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. So a lot of Indiana connections there over in Kansas City. But uh, like I said, the NFL season comes to a close. And unfortunately, yet again, it's with the Chiefs ho- hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, the 25-22 to win over the San Francisco 49ers in overtime. And what got me as a Broncos fan is that of all people to have to hand over the Lombardi Trophy, it was John Elway. Broncos legend John Elway, the greatest Bronco of all time. It was the 25th year anniversary of him being Super Bowl MVP in his last final NFL game uh, in Super Bowl 33 when the Broncos beat the Atlanta Falcons down in Miami. So I'm sure when they asked him a long time ago, he's like, yeah, it'd be great. I'd be happy to. I'm sure he never really – oh, I'm sure he thought about it, but it may, may, maybe it doesn't bother him like it bothered a lot of members of Bronco country last night. But – uh you know, it was just hard pill to swallow to cap it all off to see him going out there and uh, and handing over the Lombardi Trophy to uh, to Kansas City. But but that's the way it goes. But it's never too early to start already thinking about the offseason. I mean, I know a lot of teams, a lot of fans like myself of teams who didn't make the playoffs, we've already been there. We've been in that mindset for a while. We've been thinking about free agency. We've been thinking about the draft. Um, and my wife. Stephanie Lee here on Facebook said, "What do you what? Did, but what did you think think of Usher? Yes, I haven't even hit on the halftime show. I enjoyed it, um, but I'm of that age demographic. I'm 31, about to be 32, and 
Usher music is kind of what, you know, uh, genre I've grown up with. And I really, I popped for Usher, Lil John, and Ludacris to be back together for probably the first time in over a decade on stage. That was fun. I know it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. I've seen a lot of the younger demographic love it. A lot of the older demographic thought it was one of the worst halftime performances ever. It did have a little, little much, too much glam probably for me. But as far as um, nostalgia, just seeing those three on stage, it, it did the trick for me. Not my favorite halftime performance of all time, but definitely far from my least. And overall, I enjoyed it. Um, and the commercials, nobody's asked me about the commercials, but the commercials, it's kind of let down yet again. Uh, there was a few commercials I enjoyed. I enjoyed the State Farm commercial for Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought that one was funny. Uh, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial was pretty good. Um, can't imagine how much money they laid down for that with some of the stars in that commercial from Tom Brady to Ben Affleck to Matt Damon to Jennifer Lopez. Uh, I know I'm forgetting a few others. Um, there were a couple other other good commercials, but uh, not too many that stick out. Um, the Doritos one with older ladies, that was kind of funny for their new like stick product. Doritos always used to. Doritos and Budweiser were two you could always used to be able to count on for funny commercials. Uh, not so much anymore. Budweiser did have a good one, though, with the Clydesdales and the, and the puppy. Um, they've kind of gone a different direction with their marketing and advertising um, over the past few years when it comes to the Super Bowl as, as opposed to what they used to do. But, um, yeah, anymore, it's it's about pretty much who you can get in your commercials, what kind of celebrity, celebrity status you can have featured and not really, uh, you know, be coming up with a memorable one, memorable one from a comedic standpoint or anything like that. But uh, overall, another Super Bowl, another year down. We'll be back to re- next year, recap Super Bowl 59 when it happens in New Orleans. Hopefully I'm here talking about Denver Broncos win, but let's be honest, since the Tim and J-Man show became a thing in November of 2016. I've never been able to even discuss the Broncos making the playoffs on this podcast, let alone making and winning the Super Bowl. So, uh, so yeah. But, like I said, it's never too early to think about next year. And with that said, I saw ESPN came out with its um, power rankings for 2024. And you would think, you know, Kansas City's went back-to-back. Back-to-back Super Bowls won. No teams ever went back to back to back, but they're going to try. You know, Andy Reid even came out today, said he'll be back next year. And there was rumors maybe he could retire, but he's going to be back. Travis Kelsey's going to be back because he's getting up there in age. They thought maybe, you know, he wins the second one and he goes and sails off in the sunset with his celebrity girlfriend, Taylor Swift, you know, arguably the most popular woman in the world right now. But um, no signs that he's going to do that. Patrick Mahomes is only 29 years old, so we're, I don't even know if we're in his prime yet, which is a scary thing thing to think about but with all that said Kansas City is not number one in ESPN's power rankings that is the Baltimore Ravens and their offseason in three words according to ESPN busy 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 because they have 25 unrestricted free agents 15 who totaled at least 200 snaps this season so uh yeah they're going to be busy re-signing some of their own talent number twos Kansas City Chiefs offseason three words from ESPN goodbye Chris Jones with a question mark because he's wanted a long-term contract and he was holding out, and he still hasn't got one. Um, you know, they, and they've prepared for that with drafting the Greek freak George Karloftis last year, and and um, Felix Anuke uh, Azuma also this year in the first round. So, so they're kind of preparing to losing Chris Jones, but it'd still be an imminent loss, I would think. Uh, let's see here. San Francisco's number three. Um, offseason key in three words, keep Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. They need to keep that core together. 
Number four, the Detroit Lions. I know they had a great season getting to the NFC Championship, winning the NFC North. Still not used to seeing them that high on early power ranking, though. Offseason in three words, address the defense. Buffalo Bills come in number five, offseason in three words, make smart decisions. Number six, the J-Mans, Miami Dolphins. Offseason in three words, cut some checks. So, uh, yeah, they're saying they need to sign some major extensions with Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle, offensive tackle Robert Hunt, and quarterback Tua yeah, Tua. I'm just calling it Tua. I know Josh is going to laugh at me when he watches that later. That's why I say Tua. I cannot pronounce his last name. Uh, number seven, Dallas Cowboys. Offseason, three words, one more try. I think that's pretty much aimed at Mike McCarthy. He's getting one more year. It's the last year of his contract. It's time to, uh, to do it or shut up. And I'm not a believer in the Cowboys. I mean, what have they done since the mid-90s? Not a whole lot. Number eight, Philadelphia Eagles, offseason three words after the collapse. Yeah, they finished one and six their last seven games of the season, including a 32 to nine wild card loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, they need to turn things around there. Number nine, I like this team at number nine, it's Houston Texans, offseason three words, overturn the roster. Number 10, Green Bay Packers, offseason three words, another defensive coordinator. The third time in Matt LaFleur's tenure as head coach, he'll have a new defensive coordinator. And this time it's going to be former Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley, who left Boston College to take a coordinator job in the NFL. That's becoming more and more common, even though it's still kind of weird. And uh, speaking of Boston College, they hired Bill O'Brien, former Houston Texans head coach, former multi-time office coordinator for the New England Patriots, former Penn State head coach, he was going to Ohio State to become their offensive coordinator for the upcoming season, but uh, Boston College, once it got his job open, they offered him the job, and so he is going to Boston College to be their next head coach, which I think is a good fit for them. Number 11, Cleveland Browns, offseason three words, get Watson right. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, arguably, well, not arguably, he's, it, it, to date it is one of the worst contracts in sports history. I was going to say arguably the worst contract in sports history, but that still has to be played out a little bit, I'd say that categorize uh, that but uh yeah because if he doesn't get hurt i don't think they make the playoffs last year joe flacco came in off his couch sitting at home off his couch and made their season one uh one to definitely remember for browns fans even though it was a ugly exit in the wild card round against the texans but uh anytime the browns are in the playoffs it's a memorable season for the fans number 12 the la rams offensive three words had Defensive talent, yeah, Sam Darnold can't, or Sam Darnold, goodness. Aaron Darnold can't can't do it all. Um, He's a veteran. He's getting older, but he's still still one of the best defensive players in the NFL. 13, the Cincinnati Bengals. Offseason, three words, make receiver decisions. Yep. Yep, Jamar Chase. Um, You got to think he's got to get an extension, but – but we'll see. It's it's. There's been a lack of extensions for young wide receivers like him, so we'll see what that looks like. They need to decide if T. Higgins is in their short-term plans or long-term plans. But, yeah, got to get some more help around Joe Burrow and keep Joe Burrow healthy, I would say. 14 Jacksonville Jaguars, offense three words, get offense rolling. Yes, they collapsed late in the season. They were my pick before the season. I had them in the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl with the 49ers winning. Of course, the Jaguars didn't even make the playoffs. Number 15, Indianapolis Colts, offense in three words, down to business. Number 16, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, offense in three words, keep the momentum. And, yes, I think that starts 
with re-signing quarterback Baker from Mayfield. Definitely have to do that. Number 17, the New York Jets, offseason three words, get Rodgers help. Yes, um, Jets, their 2023 season was not like all the Jets fans thought it would be. Four plays in to their season. Their big acquisition to offseason, Aaron Rodgers, tears his Achilles out for the season. So 2024, is it's, it's all on Rodgers. It is all on Rodgers. Coming in at number 18, Pittsburgh Steelers offense in three words, find a quarterback. Uh, yeah, it's probably not going to be Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph, so they'll probably look elsewhere. Maybe it's maybe it's Russell Wilson. Maybe they draft somebody. We know it will not be Mitchell Trubisky as he was released this afternoon. And uh, just a reminder, Bears, Bears fans, I'm sure you've been told this a million times, but I'm going to remind you one more time. Once more, you could have had Patrick Mahomes in that draft where you, t- you traded up from three to two to get Mitchell Trubisky. Just, just say. Number 19, Seattle Seahawks, offseason three words, McDonald era begins. Yes, Mike McDonald era is in. Pete Carroll's out after 14 seasons. So definitely going to look different up there in Seattle. Number 20, Minnesota Vikings, offseason three words, decide on a quarterback. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is approaching his 36th birthday. He's recovering from his first major injury, uh, but he wants a two-year, 90-ish million-dollar contract. Don't know if the Vikings are going to want to do that. 21 Chicago Bears, offseason three words, Justin or Caleb. Do they stick with Justin Fields and trade out of the number one pick and get more picks and get more tools and protection and help around Justin Fields? Or do they stick at number one take somebody else? Or do they stick at number one take USC quarterback Caleb Williams and say bye-bye to Justin Fields and dealt, dealt him elsewhere? Because I don't see – any scenario where they keep Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams both. I don't don't think they can have their cake and eat it too. Number 22, New Orleans Saints offseason three words, maintaining status quo. Number 23, my Denver Broncos. I could have told you this one. Offensive three words, find a quarterback. Uh, barring not something unforeseen, Russell Wilson is not going to be back. So the Broncos are going to have to eat a lot of money there. Um, they only have Six draft picks in April, and the Caps could be a challenge. So, I mean, they keep saying they have a plan, but it better be a good one. Uh, if not, it's going to be a uh, rebuilding year for the future in Denver in 2024. Yet again, unfortunately. Number 24, Las Vegas Raiders. Offseason three words, running it back. Antonio Pierce had the interim tag lifted off, so I think that's what they're meaning there. Number 25, the L.A. Chargers. Kind of hard to see them at 25 because all the talent they have and brand-new coach, national champion coach, Jim Harbaugh coming over from Michigan back to the NFL. But the reason they're at 25, obviously in three words, according to ESPN, salary cap hell. They are $54.2 million over the salary cap. So that doesn't help when you have a lot of star players on paper that you could extend um, or resign and uh, go get other free agents. Yeah, that, that makes it difficult. Number 26, Atlanta Falcons offense in three words, solve the quarterback. Another spot, potential landing spot maybe for Russell Wilson. We'll have to see there. Uh, I don't see. think Tyler Heineke or Desmond Ritter is probably the answer there. Number 27, New York Gi- Giants. Offseason three words, some big decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, number 28, Tennessee Titans. Offense three words, fix the O-line. Yeah, Titans are a mess. Number 29, the Arizona Cardinals. Offense three words, build the roster. Uh, number 30, New England Patriots offseason. Three words, times are a-changing. No Belichick, Gerard Mayo's in. All signs 
point to them probably taking a quarterback number three, whether that be Drake May or Jaden Daniels. We'll have to see. Number 31, the Washington Commanders. Offseason three words, a new beginning. They got a new owner in Josh Harris, new general manager in Adam Peters, and a new head coach in Dan Quinn. And they're sitting at number two in April in the NFL draft. Got to think they're going to take a quarterback. Once again, like the Patriots, that'll probably be either Drake May or Jaden Daniels. And number 32, the Carolina Panthers. Offseason in three words, another coaching change. So... Yes, because uh, Dave Canellis uh, became the third non-interim head coach in less than three years and fourth since 2019. That's not ideal. It's not how you build a winning franchise. They need to do a lot of things to help make Bryce Young last year's number one draft choice in the NFL draft. They need to do a lot of things to make his sophomore season a successful one. So, so that will do it, I think, for my NFL talk tonight, at least regarding the Super Bowl and everybody's outlook for next season. But I guess I'm not completely done with my NFL talk because I do have a couple um, NFL-related people on my pick six this week, which the pick six is brought to you by Performer Print 2 Promo Group. And let's start. Let's go ahead and get the uh, two NFL ones out of the way, shall we? And Patrick Mahomes. Like I said, uh, I'm not a Patrick Mahomes fan because he – Drives me crazy as a Broncos fan of just beating my team in the ground. I mean, the Broncos finally beat the Chiefs this year in October for the first time since 2015. And uh, long season around, I think the AFC West is probably going to run through Kansas City. Um, I think the division will get tougher for Kansas City, though, because I think the Chargers will be better, especially with Harbaugh. I still think Sean Payton is the guy to turn the Broncos around. And Vegas, it's it's too early to tell with Antonio Pierce, but the players sure love him there. So I still think the AFC West will be a tough division year in and year out for the for the Chiefs just to cakewalk through. But until somebody unthr- un- 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 unseats them from their throne, I think the AFC West will run through Kansas City. Um, so in Mahomes, like I said, three rings and four tries. Six AFC championship appearances in six years is pretty remarkable. He's on his way to Canton already. I mean, he could not play another down, and he'd be in Canton as a Hall of Famer. Um, he's on his way to becoming the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. And in my opinion, I think he's probably the most talented to ever play the game. Things he can do with arm angles and throws and escaping pressure with his athleticism, even running the ball last night. We haven't seen a combination of that ever before in the NFL. So Kyle Shanahan is my next one, a guy I'm a big fan of, but uh, Shanahan, man, he's got to think San Francisco's probably going to be back in contention, but, I mean, this is a guy in the last five years, he's lost two Super Bowls, two NFC championships, also lost a 28-3 Super Bowl lead when he was the OC for the Falcons uh, back back a while back. Um, good head coach, very creative. I think he's the most creative guy in the way he schemes his runs compared to any other coach and play caller in the NFL. But I think he made a few big mistakes last night. One of those was abandoning the run early. So I definitely think he deserves some of the heat he's getting today. That's for sure. Uh, We'll stick with football for the next one, but we'll go to the college football world. Chip Kelly. Yes, former Oregon Duck coach, former San Francisco 49er coach, Philadelphia Eagle coach. And now you can say former UCLA Bruins coach because instead of staying on at UCLA to, to continue being their head coach as they enter to 
into the Big Ten starting in the 2024 season, he left a head coaching position to go somewhere else in the Big Ten to Ohio State to fill the offensive coordinator vacancy that was left from Bill O'Brien's leave to go to Boston College, as I hit on earlier. So Chip Kelly, a heck of a heck of a play caller and a heck of a coaching staff that Ryan Day has assembled there this offseason. They're going for it all. You got to think Ohio State's probably going to be ranked number one or two in the preseason rankings. They're doing everything they can to not only beat Michigan, especially since Day's kryptonite, Jim Harbaugh, has gone and joined the Los Angeles Chargers, but to also make the 12th team college football playoff and then ultimately win a national championship. So um, anything short of that's going to be a failure in Columbus this year, and Ryan Day could be looking for a different job, which is crazy because if he did anything like he's already done so far in his career in a place like West Lafayette or Champaign or Bloomington, they'd be building a statue after the guy. So uh, next on my list, uh, we will stick with uh, college sports. We'll go basketball. Zach Eady, big maple. Um, Zach 3D, I guess we could call him, after uh, hitting his first career three against the Indiana Hoosiers in a route of the Hoosiers Saturday night. I'll be talking more about that in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Edie is um, going to be the national player of the year for the second consecutive year, first player to do so since Ralph Sampson, since Ralph did it three times back in the day, which is unheard of. But uh, just remarkable things we're seeing from Zach Edie this year. And as as a Purdue fan, Two other Purdue fans, we just cannot take this for granted because we're not going to see anything else even close probably to what Zachy's been doing the last two seasons at Purdue probably ever again. So sticking with college basketball, John Calipari. Um, yes, I don't can't think of another coach, active coach in college basketball that does less with more talent than John Calipari. Um, he's only won one national championship at Kentucky, and I know people are – sitting here listening to this and watching this, like, I would kill for just one national championship. Totally get it, but at Kentucky, with all that talent, you probably should win more than just one um, for how many years he's been there. And they lost at home to Gonzaga, a Gonzaga team that's probably one of Mark Few's worst Gonzaga teams. He's had a team that's fighting to keep his NCAA tournament streak alive. They lost a home game um, to Gonzaga over the weekend. Third consecutive home loss for Kentucky. First time in Rupp Arena history. Last time Kentucky lost three straight home games, Pat Riley was their leading scorer back in the 60s. If that tells you anything. And lastly, going to the golf world for this one, Zach Johnson. Um, Zach Johnson's been in the golf headlines a lot this past year. A lot of it was for his Ryder Cup captaincy, which did not go well as the European team beat the U.S. team yet again on European soil, and it wasn't even close. And Zach Johnson made a lot of questionable decisions along the way. But this weekend, not only did he get into it with a fan that he proclaimed was heckling him about the uh, his captaincy for the U.S., and he was saying he was sick and tired of it, but he also came out today and said uh, the uh, waste management open crowd, which waste management is always the tournament played out in TBC Scottsdale in Scottsdale, Arizona, during the week of the Super Bowl, weekend of the Super Bowl. It's always the rowdiest golf crowd of the year. It's always, besides the Indy 500, is the uh, the Saturday of the Waste Management Open is the most attended sporting event throughout the calendar year, besides the Indy 500. I think there's estimated about 250,000 people that let through the gates on the golf course. So it's a very rowdy, drunk crowd. Likes to have a good time. They like to party, especially in a whole 16 stadium hole. And Zach Johnson pretty much said that the crowd's out of hand. 
it's inappropriate and it's been on the edge of being inappropriate ever since he got on the PGA Tour in 21 years. Well, my nice solution to you, Zach Johnson, is if you don't like the crowd out there in uh, Phoenix for the Waste Management Open, don't play in it. Pretty simple as that. You don't have to play in every tournament. You can make your own schedule. So if you don't like it, don't play in it. I'm sure they will not miss you playing out there. So, and I got to give uh, credit to uh, one of uh, a really good friend of the show, Aaron Lynch here. He was comparing the PGA Tour to uh, Live Golf. And he said that that's the problem problem that the PGA Tour has is a lot of the guys left on tour that haven't jumped to Live are entitled and think they create value. And that is not the case. Tiger created the value of the tour. They all rode his coattails. Live has all the characters of the tour that provided, you know, that kind of that intrigue and that spark. Now the tour is left with just majority of the this goody boys that grew up in country clubs attitude. So interesting take, but for the most part, pretty hard to argue. So that's going to do it for this week's pick six, which is, which is brought to you by like it is every week, Performer Print 2 Promo Group. If you're looking for a trustworthy, dependable resource for next trade show, company picnic, or a sales meeting, Performer Print 2 Promo Group has over 50 years combined experience in promotional products and commercial print. They strive for fast and efficient response to all your print needs, so you need to look no further. Let them be your one source print and promotional company today by giving Barbara Van Weinsberg a call at 574-210-3815. Well, does everybody want to get educated with me? I have not even looked at the Honest Day list yet this week, which is brought to you by Mooney Woodcrafts, but we are all going to do so together here. Talk about sporting events that have happened on February 12th. Let's see here. Well, it's in 1878. Harvard pl- player Frederick Thayer patents the baseball catcher's mask. Very interesting. I would not have guessed it dated back to 1878. I would have thought it was more recent than that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Well, it's in 1958. Boston Celtic Bill Russell grabbed 41 rebounds. In a victory over the Syracuse Nationals, 119-101. 41 rebounds in one basketball game. That is a lot of a lot of boards. But he had 40-plus rebounds a couple different times throughout his fabulous career. Uh, let's see here. On the day, 1982, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, scored his 153rd point of the season, breaking a then-NHL record. On the day 1984, Cale Yarbrough became the first Daytona 500 qualifier above 200 miles per hour. On this day in 1989, the 39th NBA All-Star Game was held in the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. The West beat the East 143 to 134. MVP was the mailman Carl Malone. He told Jazz forward. On this day, 1989, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, again set two NHL records with his 45th hat trick and 10th 40-plus goal season. We bring up his name a lot on the honest days because he was the great one for a reason. On this day, 1995, the 45th NBA All-Star Game was held as the uh, – it was held in Phoenix as the West beat the East 139-112. MVP was Mitch Richmond. Sacramento Keene shooting guard. And I know that name is not music to a lot of Purdue Boilermaker fans' ears because he bounced the Boilers and their um, 
the triplets, Ever Stevens, Troy Mitchell, Troy Lewis, and Todd Mitchell um, when he was at Kansas State. Um, let's see here. On this day in 2006, the Pro Bowl was played in Honolulu, Hawaii. NFC beat the AFC 23-17. Uh, MVP was Derek Brooks, linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, on this day in 2007, Marty Schottenheimer was fired as head coach of the San Diego Chargers due to lack of playoff success and a strange relationship with ownership. And I believe that's after he went 14-2 and previous regular season. Pretty unheard of there. Um... And on this day last year, Super Bowl 57, saw the Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. And MVP was, of course, Patrick Mahomes. And that's going to do it for this week's On This Day, which is brought to you by, like it is every week, Mooney Woodcrafts. Mooney Woodcrafts is a veteran-owned and operated woodcraft shop based out of Texas with Indian grassroots. They provide 100% handcut custom designs to fit your needs, and their pieces are a great addition to any home, office, or man cave. You can see some of their recently completed projects by visiting them at Mooney Woodcrafts on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you let them know the Tan and J-Man show sent you, you get 15% off your first sign order. So get those sign orders in. You will not be disappointed by any work that Thad does. Speaking of Thad, he is a loyal listener and viewer of the show and has been for many, many years, I think ever since the creation of the Tan and J-Man show, and we really appreciate that. And he sent some questions uh, before he even knew that Josh was going to be out for the show this week. And uh, he just wanted us to top, to tackle these topics. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and tackle them, and, and maybe Josh can tackle his next week or or we'll re- revisit it um, when when he's back on. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go over these. Uh, his first topic was, what sporting event would you like to commentate for one day? And his would be comment- commentating Hole 16 at the Waste Management Open and TBC Sawgrass. Uh, man, that's a really good question. A lot of these, I will probably go the golf route. Um, but for this one, if I could commentate event for one day, it actually probably would still be a golf route. It'd probably be uh, Sunday at the Masters, the back nine, if I had to be really, if I had to only pick like one thing. I think, you know, a lot of times the the analysts say the Masters doesn't start the back nine on Sunday. That's when all the action happens and where it happens. So I think that'd be fun, especially if you had a lot of the big boys on both the PGA Tour and Live in contention. Um, I think that'd be make for some fireworks. What event would you like to partake in as a member of the field for one day? And Thad said the Masters. Um, that's probably a pretty easy one to say um, just because it's so hard and to get it onto Augusta without um, – playing in the tournament itself. Um, it's pretty much near impossible unless you know a member. Even then, it's not even easy to get on. Um, so that's an easy one. I'll, I'll go with something else. So um, let's see. Um, but golf was my best sport growing up and still really the only sport I partake in. So I'll, I'll stick with golf with this one. I'll say uh, Players' Championship. I'd like to take a shot at Sawgrass on 17. Even in front of a gallery, I'd probably shank it into the water and not hit it on the island green, but I think it'd be fun to try. One event you would like to attend that isn't in the U.S.? Um, Wow, that's a good one because I'm not really a soccer fan, but I would say taking in a European soccer game would be pretty cool, just be from the passion of the fans itself. But, um, yeah, I'm not a 
not a big soccer fan. So, but but I'm going to go ahead and say that. I mean, I could say the, I guess I could say the Open Championship, but that's still through the PGA Tour in golf, and that's still American sport. So I'll, I'll say a European soccer game. And lastly, what team's championship parade would you like to be on the bus for? He said the, the Bills, Bills Mafia being crazy. Um, I mean, I'm going to take the cop-out answer. If, if I would be a fan of the Broncos, if the Broncos were to win, I would want to be on the on the bus with the Broncos and going through the city of Denver and celebrating that. I mean, they're my favorite professional sports team. I'm really my sports fandom. I mean, I got a favorite team for every sport, but my fandom as the older I've got, it's really just narrowed down to Purdue men's basketball, Purdue football, and Denver Broncos football. First and foremost, everything else is so far below. It really doesn't bother me too much when they, when they lose um, as it does when Purdue or the Broncos lose. So I, I'll go with the Broncos for that one. But, um, and I know Purdue probably wouldn't really have a parade as far as being on the bus or anything, but I'd definitely love to be in West Lafayette if Purdue's fortunate enough to, cut down the nets for the first time since uh, 1932 uh, this year. I, it would be fun to be in West Lafayette for that, for sure. Speaking of those Boilermakers, those number two ranked Boilermakers, they took care of their arch rival Indiana Hoosiers over the weekend for the second time this season, um, sweeping the Hoosiers, something the Hoosiers did to the Boilermakers last year by a score of 79-59. So it was one point closer than the previous matchup earlier this year in Bloomington was. Um, but this game, I don't even think it was as close as the score indicated. Uh, Purdue was up 35-25 a half, 12-point lead, and outscored Hoosiers 42-34 in the second half. Um, looking at the stats here, uh, both teams didn't shoot the greatest, but um, b- both shot under. 45%. Uh, Indiana was 23 for 55 for 41.8%. Purdue was 25 for 59 for 42.4%. Uh, Three-point range, both teams were pretty cold. Uh, Indiana was 4 for 16 for 25%. Purdue was 8 for 21 for 38.1%. Free throws, uh, Purdue outshot Indiana big time from the free throw line. Purdue was 21 for 33 for 63.6%. And Indiana was 9 for 15 for 60%. And two of those misses were in a row by Trey Galloway. So only the third time this season, the crowd in attendance at Mac Arena Saturday night got a free chicken sandwich if they wanted to do so in a 24-hour period from Slim Chickens. It hadn't happened since the non-conference. has been a while. So um, thank you, Trey Galloway, for that, for everybody that's in attendance, I should say. Thank you. Uh, total rebounds, Purdue out-rebounded uh, Indiana 50-34. to 19 of those were on the offensive glass. Uh, Indiana did have more assists, 15-12. to 12. Purdue had more blocks, three to two. Purdue had more steals, ten to five. Uh, Indiana had more turnovers, eleven to eight, and they fouled had twenty personal fouls to Purdue's twelve. Um, individual stats: uh, CJ Gunn actually was Indiana's leading scorer off the bench. I believe he was off the bench, thirteen points. Monique uh, McKenzie uh, Mbaku had twelve points. Khalil Ware had eleven. Trey Galloway ten. Malik. Renew six, and he also fouled out. And then Peyton Sparks added one, and Anthony Walker six. Gabe Cups and Anthony Leo played, but both had zero points. Uh, points wise for Purdue, Zach Eady led the way with 26 points, also led the way in rebounds with 13. Point guard Braden Smith, um, he was cold shooting up in Bloomington the first time these two 
teams played. He was uh, two for 14 shooting, I believe, but this time he uh, did a lot better in the scoring category. He had 19 points, also added nine rebounds and four assists. And then nobody else got to double-digit scoring for the Boilers. But Mason Gillis had nine points, five rebounds. Lance Jones, seven points. Trey Kaufman, seven points, seven rebounds. Fletcher Lawyer, five points, three rebounds. Kimden Heidi, two points, two rebounds. Uh, Caleb First, one point. Uh, Miles Colvin, three points. Nice to see the freshman come off the bench. First time he's played in about two weeks and hit a three when Purdue could not take the lid off the off the basket in that moment. Uh, Ethan Morton and William Berg both played had zero points. Um, but yeah, all in all, a good win for the Boilermakers. First time that they've defeated Indiana two times by 20 or more points in both of those meetings since 1934. It's been a long, long time, 90 years to be exact. Um, and these are two programs right now going in different directions. Uh, Purdue's been a consistently successful program, especially the last three years. Um, yes, they've fell short in March um, last year. Fairly Dickinson, 16 seed in the first round. Year before that, 15 seed St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, which I feel like too many people forget about that. That Purdue did beat Yale and Texas, but then they did fall short to St. Peter's. The year before that was the COVID year. They fell to North Texas, 13 seed North Texas, first round. Uh, Indiana's made the tournament. Past couple of years, past two seasons under Mike Woodson. That's why I do think he will get a fourth season next year. Um, they haven't had a lot of success in the tournament. They did win one game last year before getting ounced by Miami. Um, year before that, they won their first four game to get in the tournament, then lost to uh, St. Mary's, I believe it was, without looking it up. Um, but uh, Purdue's riding some momentum. Indiana is not. I do not see this Indiana team making the tournament. Um, and it's just they're in a weird spot. I mean, they have most NIL money out of anybody in the country. But you got to take pride in playing for the team you're on. I think they have some talent, but I don't think their players always play hard. They don't hustle. Um, they don't have energy. I think some guys have already tapped out for the season with eight games or so remaining, which is not a good sign. Don't know if they got the greatest coaching staff alongside Woodson. And at times, Woodson looks kind of sleepy during games. So next year will be a huge year for Mike Woodson. I think the offseason is key. Got to think Indiana's probably going to lose some guys, maybe some key contributors. No clear where. Maybe he tests NBA waters or goes ahead and goes. I know, you know, at Oregon, he was viewed as an NBA prospect. And I think some of the concerns that people had of his low energy at Oregon are starting to show up. Uh, Late as of late, um, Mbaku, maybe he tests NBA waters. Renew, I think he'd be back. Um, hard telling with some of these other guys with the transfer portal and everything, it opens up, but um, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely an interesting time for both programs. I think Indiana's got to look themselves in the mirror, I and mean, they've had more coaches than anybody else in the Big Ten since the year 2000. And I know they have those five banners, and three of those were thanks to the general. Montgomery Knight, Bob Knight. Um, and maybe they get, you know, maybe they got to come to realization that maybe they're not going to get back to those those glory days. Bob Knight was a once-in-a-generation head coach. And this is coming from a guy who's not a Bob Knight fan by any means, but he's one of the best college basketball players, basketball coaches, excuse me, not players, basketball coaches of all time. There's no denying that. And maybe they got to come to grips with that, that 
your your program a lot of times is only as good as the as the coaches and the coach builds the culture. So, you know, I kind of spoke on it last week. Maybe it's not just a head coaching problem in the end has, maybe it's a culture problem and they need to revamp that and, and retool that a little bit. But as for Purdue, they're riding a wave of momentum. They got a two-game cushion now in the Big Ten. Wisconsin dropped four straight. Illinois dropped one up at East Lansing. So they got a two-game cushion. Um, they host Minnesota Golden Gophers this Thursday night, 8.30. Uh, Golden Gophers are hot, coming in hot. And then they uh, travel to Columbus on Sunday. The Ohio State team that looks dead in the water, even though they did beat, they did go ahead and beat uh, Maryland. Um, the other night, who that's a that's another tough team to figure out. A lot of these teams in the Big Ten are hard to figure out. But let's go through the Big Ten schedule real quick. Um, why I have a chance before we wrap up this show. Um, starting with game tomorrow night, Michigan at Illinois. Michigan's by far the worst team in the Big Ten. They're last in the standings. They only have eight wins on the season. Illinois is going to be out for some blood, I would think, after losing up at Michigan State. Illinois in a blowout there. Ohio State travels to Wisconsin. Perfect time for Wisconsin to get a team like Ohio State coming in the Kohl Center since they've lost four straight. I see Wisconsin getting that done pretty easily. Wednesday night on Valentine's Day, Michigan State travels to Penn State. Uh, Michigan State dropped one at Minnesota last week, but I think Michigan State gets this one on the road, but it's a close one there at Penn State. Penn State's a tough place to play, and they're playing a lot better basketball as of late. Iowa at Maryland, two tough teams to figure out, so I'll take Maryland just because of the fact that they're at home. Northwestern at Rutgers. Um, big win for Northwestern uh, over, uh, let's see, over uh, they had wins over Penn State and Nebraska last week, I believe, so. Um, good good week for the Wildcats. Uh, let me double check that. Yes, they beat Penn State by five, and did yeah, beat Nebraska by twelve on Wednesday. Um, so with that said, give me Rutgers playing better too. I'm gonna take Rutgers. I'm gonna take Rutgers at home in this one. And like I said, Red Hot Golden Gophers coming in to Mackey on Thursday nights. Give me the Boilers in that one. Saturday, we have four games, Penn State and Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't lose very often at home, even though they can't win away from Lincoln. Give me Nebraska. Wisconsin travels to Iowa. I'll take Iowa in that one. Why not? Illinois travels to Maryland. This is a team that has been a thorn in Brad Underwood's side, but I think Illinois gets it done on the road. I think the line I have a good week this week. And Michigan State at Michigan's your Fox 8 o'clock national game. Ugh, that's disgusting. Uh, give me Sparty in that one. Saturday, uh, Purdue at Ohio State, CBS, 1 o'clock. Give me the Boilers in that one. Northwestern at Indiana, uh, perfect week for Indiana to have off. Get a good Northwestern team um, coming into Assembly Hall. Um, but even with the week off, I don't like how I don't like how Indiana's playing. I don't like the vibes around them. Give me Northwestern. And then Rutgers at Minnesota, I will take Minnesota in that one. Let's look at some top 25 games real quick throughout this week. Right now, Duke is hosting Wake Forest. I like Duke to win that one. Kansas is at Texas Tech tonight. Give me Texas Tech in the upset. They're upset by ranking, but they are three and a half point favorites. Marquette at Butler tomorrow. Uh, Give me Marquette in that one. Uh, North Carolina at Syracuse. Give me the Tar Heels. Iowa State at Cincinnati. Give me Iowa State. Um, any other intriguing ones? Ole Miss at Kentucky. No way Kentucky can lose yet another home game consecutively, can they? Give me uh, give me Calipari to beat Chris Beard in that one. 
Um, let's see here. Number 15, South Carolina travels to number 12, Auburn. These rankings are, uh, I don't know if they're updated or not due to this app, but uh, that should be a good one. Wednesday night, give me Auburn at home. Um, see any other good one? Good one Friday night, number 25, New Mexico travels to number 24, San Diego State. Give me, give me the Aztecs. Give me San Diego State and that one at home. Um, I don't think these rankings are updated on this app because I don't see Indiana State. And Indiana State is now ranked for the first time since Larry Bird played there. So, um, but on this weekend, Texas A&M at Alabama, that should be a good one. But give me Alabama. Texas Tech at Iowa State. Another good one. Give me Iowa State. Big 12 is so loaded. Big 12 is going to get about 10 teams in the tournament this year. Um, do I see any potential? Number seven, Marquette at number one, UConn. That's probably the game of the week on, weekend. I'll be rooting for Marquette in that one, but give me the Huskies. I think UConn will be too much for them. Arizona State at Arizona. Yeah, Arizona State's not good enough to give Arizona a scare there. Um, yeah, so not the greatest week for top 25, but uh, still should be an entertaining week around college basketball. Always is. And now college basketball is the center of the sports world for a lot of people from here through March Madness since the NFL is over. Because as we talk about often on this podcast, the NFL NFL is king no matter what time of year it is. So, yeah. But, all right. With all that said, all those topics we've went through, let's get back to the birdie or bogey question of the night, which is before Jake Moody and Harrison Bucker uh, both broke, well, Jake Moody broke, the NFL Super Bowl record for longest field goal made in the Super Bowl with a 55-yarder. Then Harrison Bucker would break it about half hour later with a 57-yarder. What NFL kicker held this record before last night? And if you answered Steve Christie of the Buffalo Bills against the Dallas Cowboys, you would be correct. You know your football and you know your NFL kickers. That is for sure, which that's part of the game I don't think people talking about enough is how improved NFL kickers have become the last two decades. I mean, I remember when a 55-yard field goal used to be considered a long field goal. 57-yard field goal used to be considered a long field goal. Now, in NFL standards, those are field goals your kickers better make more times than not, make pretty consistently. We're not even talking about a long field goal until you talk 60-yarder, and even 60-yarder indoors is one that people think sometimes you should hit rather consistently, which is just just wild to me. Kicking game from the college ranks to NFL ranks is so different, so different. But thanks, everybody, for joining me tonight. Josh, the game in my... And does have at least one, if not two, special guests joining next Monday for the Tan and J-Man show. I will not spoil that. I will make sure, make you all tune in, figure out who... Um, that individual or individuals may be, but it's going to be a fun show, and I'm looking forward to listening to it at a later date. With that said, I'm Tanner Lee. Have a happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Have a great week.